All right. All that being said, let's turn to God's word now. We're going to hear him speak to us there in First Thessalonians chapter four. Many of you are aware we've been walking through the book of First Thessalonians and we come up to chapter four this morning and we're going to be in verses one to twelve. And I'm going to invite Miss Judy Stabilepsy to read for us this morning. Thank you so much, Judy. Good morning. First Thessalonians four, one through twelve. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. We, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. withers and the flower fades. Amen. Let me pray one more time. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. We are thankful for your word. It's a lamp to our feet, light to our path. Without your word, we could not know you aright. could know some things about you through the created order but there are a great many things we would not know about you. We're thankful for the gift of your precious word. Thank you that we have hundreds of copies of your word here in our church building and in our homes. What a blessing. I ask that we would treasure it now. Holy Spirit, come and give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Help us to understand the words given from you through Paul this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, quite a number of you recently participated in the pastoral evaluations process. And I'm so grateful for that. I want to thank you for filling one out for me. Almost 50 of you did that. I know many of you were away, and that's okay. We just... The elders picked a, a Sunday, not totally random, but kind of picked a Sunday when we thought a good many would be here, and we went with it. And it was a part of my doctoral, doctor of ministry uh, projects and whatnot. And anyway, but thank you for doing that. Um, I'm very grateful. It is not easy to receive criticism, but it is necessary. 
And this is not the time or place to get into the details of that e- e- those evaluations. Wouldn't you like me to do that? I'm not going to do that. Um, but basically, what most of you said is exactly what Paul says to the church here in 1 Thessalonians 4.1. You're pleasing God, but... And then a, you know, a few things. We urge you to do so more and more. You're pleasing God. We're thankful for you. But here's some ways for you to work a little harder or do a little better. We urge you to do so more and more. Just as Paul said to the church, that's effectively what I felt like you were saying to me. Yeah, you're doing well. But you still need to grow, especially in this area and that area. Quite a number of you had a few areas that you were honing in on. And uh, many of them had some, some serious overlap, which feels a little comfortable. I'm uncomfortable. I'm sort of like, wow, they're really like one mind out there on these, on these things. Um, so keep it up. You're doing good, but don't think you've arrived. Not that, I, not that I had thought that, but it's good to just be reminded of that, right? So this was the basic sense I got from the evaluations. Uh, thank you to my elders for helping collect uh, those evaluations and helping me process the results. The elders were very kind about sorting through things and, and they put it all together and, and uh, gave me the results. I'm very grateful to them. And I'll have a bit more to say about the evaluations near the end of the sermon. In a way, Paul here is giving the church uh, a kind of evaluation. The Thessal- Thessalonican church Uh, Paul has some things to say. Timothy has come back from his visit and has passed along a report to Paul. And now Paul is responding to them through this letter. As you will remember, um, Paul was run out of Thessalonica because of his preaching. He was there sharing the word and they ran him off. He was not able to return uh, for reasons we don't exactly know, uh, but he desperately wanted to go and see them. So he sends Timothy, right? After a time, he could no longer bear not seeing them, not knowing how they were doing. So he sent uh, Timothy to check in on this little uh, fledgling uh, church. While in Athens, um, they were down in Athens at the time, um, Paul sent Timothy up to visit. And sometime later, Timothy had returned with a report and gives it to Paul. And as I pointed out last week, even though uh, there was spiritual warfare and and Paul wasn't able to, uh, to get to Thessalonica to encourage them and to do the things he wanted to do to continue his teaching ministry there. Um, God used it for good. If you'll remember, we wouldn't have this letter if Paul were not denied um, and his many attempts to go to, to Thessalonica, right? So we have this precious letter because of that. Anyway, as we saw last week, Timothy's report was, was positive. Chapter 3, verse 6 says this. If you want to open your Bible and flip there. Um, Timothy, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 6, Timothy is given a positive report to Paul, and Paul says this, Now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. So Paul gets a positive report back. He's encouraged about their faith and love. Maybe some of you parents have had a parent-teacher conference before. 
with one of your parents' teachers. You go in a bit nervous, wondering what the report's going to be. Maybe you've seen the grades, which, you know, maybe in most cases are fairly good and your kids are saying good things, but then you're sort of like, I don't know if I believe everything that the kids are telling me. So go sit down with the teacher and, and, you know, and see if it jives kind of thing, right? And, but you go in wondering what the report's going to be. Are my children doing what they're supposed to be doing? Paul here is elated to get a good report back about his spiritual children in Thessalonica, especially given the many trials and persecutions that they've had to face. So you can imagine that feeling, getting this good report after some concerns. You'll remember last week I focused a bit on spiritual warfare, on the unseen battles that are being waged all around us all the time. Paul recognized that Satan was hindering him. Again, if you go back to chapter 3, he says that explicitly. Satan hindered us from, from going to see you. Paul recognized this. And he also recognized that perhaps part of the enemy's strategy was to keep him from going so that he could be tempting and trying to allure the church into false teaching or into some issue. And he mentions that also in chapter 3. So he was especially distressed. But Timothy's report reassured him of their solid faith. All, All that being said, there were... Some things that Paul wanted to exhort the church in. Some areas that he desired to address. And now in these final two chapters, he's going to begin doing that. As I pointed out last week, one of the reasons Paul, we believe anyway, or assume, maybe something we could say that's implicit in the, in the uh, story and in the letter of 1 Thessalonians, is that he didn't get to complete his teaching ministry. Right, He was run out of town before he could finish and so these are some things that he was concerned about and, and wanted to continue building on what he had already shared with them. And so now in chapters 4 and 5, he's going to, going to begin um, or complete some of what he felt was lacking in the church. This section here at the start of chapter 4 is broken down into three smaller sections. You might say each of these sections is a part of Paul's response to Timothy's report. These are the but comments of Paul's letter. You're doing well, but, right? These are the but parts of the evaluation, okay? So you're doing well, but. Paul has three of those but comments for the Thessalonian church in this section of the letter today. And as I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but think of the Atlanta Braves. All right. Any of y'all follow baseball, anything at all, you know, the major leagues? I grew up loving the Braves. That was my team, and I still pull for them, though I've also grown to love the Red Sox. The Braves broke quite a few records this year. Quite a few. I mean, amazing season, both individual records and as a team. They finished the regular season with the most wins and the best overall record in all the majors. And then proceeded to be eliminated in the divisional series round. So, you know, you had a great season, Braves, but. (laughs) That's right. There's still some work to do. Keep up what you're doing, but here are some things of concern. Okay, 
That's Paul's basic message to the Thessalonians here in our passage today. Now, if Paul were writing to the Red Sox, the letter would look a lot different, right? It'd be more of a complete rebuke. What are you doing? More like the letter to the Galatians, right? Come on, wake up. So anyway, enough, enough sports analogies. But this is more like a letter written to the Atlanta Braves. You're doing well, but. And that first exhortation that Paul is going to give to them is this. You're doing well, but you need to do so more and more. That's the simple first point here we see in verses 1 and 2. Look there with me now. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You're doing great. Keep it up more and more even. Two things to point out here. The first one is this. Notice the word walk right there in verse 1. Paul says there is a way we ought to walk. And that way he taught them when he was there with them. What is Paul getting at here? Is there literally a certain way we are to move our legs and feet? A certain gait that we're supposed to have as Christians as we walk and move our bodies? No. Of course not. Paul is using the word figuratively here. Walk is referring to their their way of life, their conduct. Paul uses this expression over and over again in his letters. And give you a few examples of him doing this. Romans 6, chapter 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, that we would live new lives, lives transformed by what God has done for us. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? It's clear Paul's talking about a way of life, our conduct. Ephesians 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Right? It's a certain way of life, certain things we've been given to do that we are to do. And there are many other examples we could look at. One scholar writes of uh, the significance of the use of this word. He writes this, quote, It is another reminder to believers that the Christian life involves everything that a person does. Wherever a Christian walks, whether at home or at work or in play, these activities are to be carried out in such a way as to please God. Wherever you walk, right? That it would be godly. Whether you're hunting or sugaring, studying for the bar, or sitting in your easy chair or whatever it is you do, all should be done in a way that is pleasing to God. So Paul says this, right? Walk in a manner worthy. You're walking well, but keep it up. Keep doing Everything for the Lord. The second thing to notice under this first point is this. Is the word instructions. Look at the word there, instructions. I believe that's in the, uh, yeah, the second verse there, verse 2. 
If you're a King James Bible reader, maybe some of you out there read the King James or some of you read the New King James, perhaps, or maybe the NASB, the New American Standard, or the CSB, the Christian Standard. Isn't it great that we have all these translations? That's great. As English readers, we're so fortunate. But your translation, if you're in one of those, and there's a number of others, your translation has the word commandments there instead of instructions. If you're a New Living Translation reader, I know some of you out there uh, love the NLT, it has the word taught. Back there. (laughs) But the NLT adds in there, as do a few other translations, the expression by the authority of the Lord Jesus. You're taught by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And that's because the word here for instructions or commandments is a word that's often used in military contexts and has an authoritarian tone to it. The idea here is that this is an instruction from a superior or higher-ranked officer. Okay, it's, it's an order, a commandment that's given from someone of higher rank. Paul is emphasizing the fact that the instructions that he passed along to them were not merely from him. That they were given to him from the Lord Jesus himself. In other words, these are not suggestions, right? These are commandments. Moreover, remember the backdrop, again, which we talked about quite a bit uh, last week. If some of you weren't able to hear that message, you could catch it on our YouTube channel. But last, last week, we kind of cast this backdrop. We began to see that behind all of these things is spiritual warfare, right? That we, you know, that we are in a battle and bombs are blowing up around us, even if we can't see them with our physical eyes. There's very real war happening all around us. And Paul is saying here that these instructions are of great consequence. If we're not following the Lord's instructions, there may be casualties, Right? There's a danger in not following the commandments. God is urging us this morning not to be a casualty. And one of the most common ways a person becomes a casualty of this war is through complacency. Complacency. Feeling like you're doing well. I'm doing okay. Paul said, I'm doing good. Right? What happens when you think that? You let down your defenses, right? And I think this is perhaps what has happened to the Christian church in America overall. We were the majority voice for a very long time and grew complacent. We got sleepy. Parents stopped working on their marriages, stopped discipling their children, expected the church to do everything. We stopped reading our Bibles. We stopped sharing our faith. Stopped speaking truth to power. We became complacent. What's the classic example of this from the Bible? There's a classic example in the Bible of someone who grows complacent and lazy and has a very great fall. It's King David. King David. Oh, how David fell. What did David do? He was having some success. Things were going well. God was using him in a mighty way. The time of year it came around when he'd be out doing, you know, leading his troops and doing things that leaders do. He was at home in his palace. 
relaxing, at ease, complacent with where things were, happy. Up on the roof, he sees a woman bathing, Bathsheba. And you know the story. He let his defenses down and got complacent and was tempted. He committed a very great sin, which led to another sin and another and another. Some say David broke all the commandments in that little account there. Of course, his primary sin in that moment was sexual. But his complacency and his spiritual laziness led him into this sin. It was a sexual sin. And won't you know, that's the next thing Paul is going to bring up in our passage today. Sexual sin. Isn't that interesting? He charges the church. Keep doing these things. Don't get lazy. Don't be complacent. And then he's got something to say about sexual sin. You're doing well. But be careful to not fall into sexual sin. That's our second point. You're doing well, but be careful to not fall into sexual sin. It appears that maybe there's a link of some kind between complacency and sexual sin. Look with me at verses 3 through 8 now. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. There again, we get this sense that that Paul is communicating instructions, commandments from a higher authority and saying these are of great consequence. You need to pay attention. So why does Paul give this instruction here? Was there something going on in the Thessalonian church that he was seeking to address, perhaps? Though people who read this passage and and say a lot about this passage, the commentators and the experts, so-called, are kind of split on this point and have different thoughts about um, whether or not Paul was actually addressing something in particular in the church or whether this was just a general uh, commandment. But for what it's worth, um, I don't think he was addressing anything in particular. It doesn't appear from the letter that they were actually involved in sexual sin. Otherwise, we might expect Paul to just say so as he does in other places, like in 1 Corinthians. There was gross immorality happening, and Paul just calls it out and says X, Y, and Z about it. So what's going on? Why bring it up if, in my opinion, perhaps it appears there's not much going on? Well, the culture that the Thessalonians lived in was, in many respects, much like our own. Sexual immorality was rampant in the Greco-Roman world at that time. In America, it's rampant. Oh, how it is rampant. Adultery, fornication, pornography, which is actually a word that comes from the, word, the Greek word that Paul uses here for sexual immorality, porneia. It's where it comes from, from this term. Sex trafficking. Many of you have seen a recent documentary about all of those things. Rape, abuse of all kinds. It's everywhere. 
our, our culture is drowning in sexual immorality. And it was rampant in the culture of the Thessalonian church too. One scholar writes this, quote, to put it bluntly, the Thessalonian Christians were living in the Greco-Roman world, which had low morals with regard to sexual sins. Prostitution was rampant. Mistresses, concubines, and such were common. And he goes on to list all sorts of other things, which I won't get into here. All kinds of illicit uh, things. Temptations to these kinds of sins were very great at that time and that place. And many in this church would have come out of that. They would have come out of paganism and in, in pagan uh, religions, if you want to call it that, and pagan spiritual spirituality, sexual uh, illicit sexual deeds are often common in their ceremonies and in their activities. So perhaps this was a serious source of temptation for these believers, and Paul wants to just caution them. The idea underlying all of this, though, is that the believers, us as believers, those of us who've called upon the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord, believers are to be holy. That's the underlying thought. The word there in verse 3, sanctification, if you look, if you look at that, some translations have the word holy. And that's because that root word is the same. It's the same. Sanctification. Holiness. These are the same fa- word family here. Believers are both holy in that they're already chosen. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We're set apart by God. Right? We have a special place. So it's not because we're special, but because He has called us and made us something. We're holy because we're chosen, set apart from the world. But we're also becoming more and more holy as we live our Christian life. And that process of becoming more holy and more like God is called sanctification. It's a fancy word that, that means to become more like God, to be, to be more holy. One thing this means is that as Christians live out God's call upon their life, they will look less and less like the world, right? Their lives will look less and less like the world, will be set apart, different from the world around us. We are not to be like the world. This is over and over stated again in the Scriptures. Not to be like it. Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. To be like the world may make you popular now. It's tempting to be like the world. Perhaps this is what Paul's pushing back against, right? That temptation to want to conform and to be like the people around you. But it does not please God. And you're not going to give an account to the world or to your neighbors. You're not going to stand before them in the day of judgment and give an account to them. You're going to give an account to Almighty God. Every single one of us will stand before Almighty God one day and give an account. Everyone. Paul reminds us of this in verses 6 and 7 of our passage today when he says the Lord is an avenger. He's reminding us there are consequences for sin. We've been saved, of course, from the ultimate consequences of our sins. Praise the Lord through Christ. But that doesn't mean that there still won't be some kind of consequence in this life. And perhaps even in the next, we're not sure how all that gets sorted out. There is a doctrine of 
of what you might call rewards in the coming kingdom. Some will be rewarded more than others based on how they lived here and now. But that would be a discussion for a number of another time. But over and over, the Bible calls us to flee sexual immorality in thought and in deed. It is so incredibly destructive. Destructive. You're doing well, Paul says, but don't slip into this very common sin, which is everywhere around you. Guard your thoughts. Because that's where it starts, is it not? It starts here. What you look at, what you think about. And then it gives birth to something more. The third thing that Paul is going to exhort the Thessalonians, and again, by extension, us, these things are for us too, right? Not just for them, is don't be idle. This is interesting. Don't be idle. You're doing well, but don't be idle. Look with me finally at verses 9 through 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. He says, the way you love each other, it's great. Keep it up, he says. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. They're even an example to other churches. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Again, saying you could be better. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So the aspect here of brotherly love that he's you know, perhaps correcting is idleness. He's saying, yeah, you're, you're loving each other in many ways, but there's this one aspect in which you're, you're struggling. You're taking advantage of one another. Some of you aren't working and you're you know, abusing your privileges, so to speak. But Paul calls the believers to brotherly Let me talk about that word for a moment, brotherly love. The word here for brother love is Philadelphia, uh, which is where the city gets its name, the city of brotherly love. Christians call each other brothers and sisters, and we should love each other as brothers and sisters. Though brothers and sisters don't always get along, right? If we're honest, if any of you have brothers or sisters or got children, we'll know this struggle. This is a kind of love that we should ideally have for one another. Many of the Christians at that time had been abandoned by their families because of their faith. They'd been cast out or ostracized because of their faith, of this newfound faith. They had come into the Christian community and it had taken them in and given them a family. Paul says, you are an example in this matter. You're doing well in loving people in this way. He says, except for one point, some of you are idle. And Paul's actually, this is a serious enough uh, concern in the Thessalonian church that he's going to bring it up in a larger section in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. He's going to bring it up there again because it had become a major a problem. But apparently some in the church were intentionally not working and meddling in the business of others. They had joined the family and they weren't pulling their weight, so to speak. They weren't doing their part. And this idleness is an issue because it's not loving to do that, right? It's not loving to our brothers and sisters to be idle. 
God exhorts us here to have a good work ethic, to be willing to work hard and to make a living and not be idle. Work is good. Contrary to what many of us feel and think. Work is good. Right? Work didn't come after the fall. Work was instituted in the Garden of Eden. We're going to be working when we're with the Lord. When heaven and earth are together, when God's dwelling is amongst us, we're going to be working, people. It's a good thing. And our backs won't break when we do it. Praise the Lord. In that, in that day, right? So if you can do something, you should. But do it for the Lord and not for people. So Paul's final word in this section is you're doing well, but don't be idle. At the start of the message this morning, I mentioned the Atlanta Braves. I'm going to come back to the Braves really quick. They had um, this great season and then they lost. Well, what happened there? Many of you don't even know who the Atlanta Braves are and don't don't care. Sorry if I'm losing you with my example here. Well, between the end of the season and the first playoff round, they had a bye week. They were idle. They didn't have, I mean, maybe they were practicing and whatever, but they didn't have games. They had a week of idleness, as did the Dodgers and the Orioles. Guess who had the three best records in baseball? Braves, Dodgers, Orioles. All of them are at home right now. None of them are playing. They had a bye week every single team before their first series. And they all lost in their first rounds. Maybe not playing had something to do with that. Don't be idle, right? Don't be idle. All right, now, to bring it home a little bit more. Some of you are all like, well, who cares? That's baseball. All right. Let's bring it home a little bit more to, to our church situation here. On the evaluations, one of the areas I was frequently encouraged to improve on is the area of delegation. <laughs> Some of you uh, are nodding and amening and, uh, you know, inwardly and outwardly clapping right now. Um, some of you even went as far as to say that I work too hard and prepare too much and do too much. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. I want to say thank you. Many of you have been very kind in helping me see this about myself. Thank you. But what I want to do now is to challenge some of you to get more involved. That's the other side. (laughs) Amen. Some of you are idle when it comes to church. I know a few of you that are idle in general. But some of you are idle when it comes to serving Christ. Not naming names, all right? So y'all laugh and, you know, I think it's a big enough room where we can kind of maybe make some guesstimations. But I'm not naming names, okay? It's a... <laughs> supposed to be funny. <laughs> Uh, well, good. Because, I'm, you know, I'm, my, my skin's in the game, too, here, right? We're in this together. Some of us are very, very, very busy, but not for God. We're very, very, very busy with family. Very, 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 very busy with work. Very, very, very busy with recreation. Very, 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 very busy with all sorts of other things, but not so much for God. 
an hour and 20 minute church service pushes some of you over the edge. It's too much. It's too much. Well, I had a list of things that I need some help with. Okay. Yeah. If you think truly, which I agree, I agree that I'm doing too much and I need to delegate, which again came through the evaluations very clearly, almost sort of like, did they like have a meeting or something and like plan this? I mean, it was like so consistent. It was like, wow. Or maybe it's just that obvious, right? I don't know. No, probably. We all have our blind spots, right? This is your opportunity to jump in and make a difference and help me with some things, okay? That's what I'm wanting to charge you and challenge you with. So please see me or one of the elders and just say, give me something to do. You know, and maybe you could be specific and say, you know, I love to work with kids. Could, could, you, could you get me involved with the kids? Or I love to, I've, I've got a voice and I would, I would love to participate in worship ministry somehow. Say this, okay? And we will do what we can to place people where they're gifted and where they're eager to help and serve, okay? So this is your opportunity. And I'm concerned that some, this is the bigger picture, right? That's the practical thing. What's under that is the, more, is the deeper concern. And this is what I really want you to wrestle with. Not just like, oh, how can we help pastor, you know, in the church with all these, you know, things. The deeper concern is that maybe some of us have become complacent in your idol, in your walk with Jesus. Not just in your involvement with the church, but with, in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like you said to me, you're doing well, Pastor, but I'm saying that to you now also. You're doing well, but you've exhorted me to put some things down. Now I want to exhort you to pick some of those things up. And we're going to work on this together, okay? This last song is going to be a prayer, okay? It's a prayer for God to have his way with us. Have thine own way. As we think about what we can do to serve Christ, as we think about our lives, things that we need to stop doing, maybe some things we need to start doing, and all of that, let this last song be our prayer together as a church. So, Tony, you can come on up, and as Tony comes up, I'm going to pray for us as we transition into this last song. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is precious, and it... Um, it cuts to the very bone and marrow, right to the very core of who we are as people. And that's hard and uncomfortable, but so, so necessary. And God, you cut us in kindness. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, your word says. Lord, I pray that you would help me to stop trying to be Jesus. I cannot be Jesus. It's ridiculous to even think about. But to stop trying to do everything, to do so much. Forgive me, Lord. And help my people to find ways they're gifted, that they can serve and jump in and, and get involved. That together, with one voice, we can do the work of ministry. We can be the body of Christ. The eye can be the eye, and the ear the ear, and the foot the foot, and so on. Oh, Lord, guide us. Have your way with us. Holy Spirit, even now, I pray that you would be showing us ways we can jump in and serve and get on the mission together. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.